We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me as he does every Tuesday, a little bit later than usual today, as the Pacers had a Tuesday night game against the Memphis Grizzlies. It's the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? A little late night special for you guys. The Pacers seem to just really never play on Tuesdays when we record, Alex, but we didn't want to break our schedule. Still wanted to have our episode out on time. So here we are. And I'm glad that we did it because, Alex, I feel like this was the most relaxing pacer game of the year they never trailed led by as many as 28 yeah it was an excellent bounce back game after the blow um they blew that huge lead against the philadelphia 76ers on sunday and i and i and i had a feeling this was going to happen like when a team loses like that the way they did to philadelphia they're going to come back ready to play that next game and i know they have a back-to-back with the game against milwaukee wednesday night so getting this win against memphis was just huge to me because Memphis has been playing well. They've won seven games in a row, and they've kind of had some weird scheduling uh, situations with the COVID-19 hitting their team, contract uh, contact tracing and all that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a Memphis team that's been playing really well, but they look like no match for the Pacers, and the Pacers look like the far and above better team all 48 minutes. They really did, and I, I want to say, like, I feel like it's a little bit of a combination of both. I want to give both teams, I don't want to say credit, but basically I feel like, just like you mentioned, the Pacers really, I feel like they were stunned how that Philly game ended, and they responded today. And on uh, Memphis, I feel like they finally just kind of came out flat. They were on fire coming into this, the seven straight wins, the, the second-best defense in the league. Alex, they were holding teams to 104 
0.3 points per game over that seven-game stretch, and the Pacers ripped off 134 <laughs> points tonight. It, it's it's everything we could have asked for. And Memphis, like I said, I don't from the very very start, it just felt like the Pacers pounced on them with threes, and they never let up. No, they didn't. And I I feel like watching this game, we didn't get a good job Moran game. Just ten points. We didn't. Two of ten from the field. Dylan Brooks was the star for Memphis in tonight's game. He was all over the place. And one thing that was nice is Memphis was on a second half of a back-to-back. They mm-hmm. had just played the Spurs, had to fly in to Indianapolis to play this game. So definitely a bit of a, an advantage for the Pacers who were wet, who were rested and, and angry after that loss against Philadelphia. And you look at the numbers, I mean, it was just an incredibly efficient night for everybody. And the Pacers were just on fire from from beyond the arc they were just on fire pretty much from everywhere they were shooting the ball and it was like one of those nights when you see that when you saw that turner three at the uh, end of the shot clock in the first quarter fall down after kind of bounce around the rim and then jeremy lamb hit that three from super deep it just felt like it was a totally different game and it was the pacers night and then of course sabonis dropping 22 points and 11 rebounds in the first half it just this team looked like they were on a mission and I want to say this because it's probably a bit of a hot take, but if this is the kind of response we're going to get after a bad loss or or a game the Pacers felt they should have won, I feel pretty confident that the Pacers are going to be much more competitive in the playoffs based on how they responded after that loss uh, against uh, the 76ers. I think this was the perfect response. It, It says a lot about a team when you kind of have a meltdown like they did against Philly. It's how are you going to respond? Are, are you going to let this linger? Because if it did, and it really started to see the Pacers, you know, falter a bit, you would say, oh, man, this team's treading water until T.J. Warren and, and Karis LeVert get back, you know, whenever they do. But I thought that this was the perfect response from the Pacers. And when you mentioned John Morant, that we didn't get that John Morant game, I have so much respect for John Morant. I truly think he's like – next up when it comes to great point guards. I think that he's going to be that one of those next great point guards over the next 10 years or so. And yeah. if you're the casual fan watching this game tonight, you didn't even know that John Morant is an all-star level player because he was non-existent. Two of yeah. 10, I thought the Pacers really took him out of the game. It never looked like Ja was a factor tonight, and that's pretty hard to, to accomplish. But also to go back a, a point, when you're talking about the Pacers, how they responded, it felt like the response against Toronto. When they lost to Toronto on that Sunday and then they had another game against Toronto, I felt like the Pacers really came out strong in that. Sure, you didn't get to play the same opponent twice, but it's coming off of a loss, and I thought the Pacers really showed it tonight that they were rubbed wrong by that Philly game. And, hey, you know, they, they proved it. We, we never trailed. And I just feel like across the board, I feel like this was the best Pacers game that the Pacers played all season. Yeah, the most complete, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And being able to play 48 minutes, never trail the game, it, it's, a, it's a really hard task in the NBA to do that. And I know there's been times where the Pacers um, ha- have been on the other end of that. I think maybe the Clippers game, they didn't lead at all. I can't remember. It was very little if they ever did. But it's not very often that you see a team dominate from, you know, the first minute of the game to the last minute of the game. And so that was a beautiful thing to see from the Pacers. And then overall, though, I mean, I just – I have to say this about DeMontis Sabonis. 13 of 15 from the field, two for two from three. Um, I think he was uh, four of six from the free throw line. So still, you know, missed two, but that's much better percentage-wise than what we're used to seeing him uh, put up. And then 32 points to end the game. So 
just a monster game from Sabonis. He only played 35 minutes this game, and that's a that's a, a subject that a lot of people are bringing up on Twitter. Do you want to dive into that, or do you want to kind of uh, stay away from that? No, let's dive in it. First, I also just want to say that selfishly, I wanted Sabonis to get the career high. Tied his career high 32. He missed that free throw towards the end when he shouldn't have even been in there. I'll admit it. But if he could have got the career high, that would have been great. Yeah. Second of all, going into the minutes, it's tough because if you can't trust your bench now and when you're up like 26 points and Pacers were, when can you, Alex? Because this kind of felt like the one game – to do it. Instead, the Pacers bring in Sumner, Jakar, Goga, Keelan Martin with three and three minutes and five seconds left in the game. Yeah. Come I, on. I well, I think there's a little bit of PTSD from then that from that Sixers loss. And mm-hmm. a lot of that just I mean, you just gotta think about it. Like you're playing Milwaukee tomorrow night on the second half of a back to back. Milwaukee's really good, and it's not a great matchup for Indiana. No. So it's it's gonna be a tough game regardless. So I think more so securing the win is the most important thing out of these two games. You think if you can get the split here, uh, take care of business. Don't let up at all. Don't give Memphis any bit of hope to try to get back in this game. Now, I do think that leaving Turner out there, leaving bringing Sabonis back in, was it maybe to pad their stats a little bit? That's a question that I think a lot of fans um, were asking, and I know some people put it out on Twitter. Were they padding their stats? Was that what was most important? And um, you know, I, like you said, selfishly as a fan, like you want to see that with all-star voting coming in, maybe that has something to do with it. And maybe it was just like Sabonis and Bjorkman's relationship. Like, Hey, you know, would you like to try to go out there and match your career high or get close, you know, maybe beat it within the next couple of minutes. I'll give you three minutes, four minutes, whatever it was. I think it was three actually that he went back in there in that, in that fourth quarter. I mean, sure. It, it might seem a little bit short-sighted to, to, to look at that look at it that way because you don't want to ever risk an injury. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not going to sit over here and just worry about this every single game because number one, it's not going to change in my opinion. For the most part, I think Bjorkman's pretty adamant that this is going to be his rotation. This is going to be the amount of minutes that this, that the, these guys are playing and Brogdon, he had 29 minutes tonight. Didn't come out until the end of the third quarter. He didn't, see the fourth quarter. Sabonis came in for three minutes. So it's not like they sat there and played them, you know, 12 minutes in the fourth quarter or whatever. I mean, yes, sure, they could have taken them out earlier in the third quarter, but it is what it is. I'm not too concerned about it, but at the end of the day, um, going forward, you know, longevity speaking-wise, it could play a factor. There's no doubt about that. There's no way to gloss over that. But at the same time, I'm just not going to get too worked up about it and let it be the talking point for every single game because this is just who I think this Pacers team is going forward. Yeah, and Pacers fans, Pacers nation, you know, everybody. I think we've entered a point now where this has become the hot topic. The the minutes, the minutes. we got to cut the minutes down. We've got to get the young guys, you know, in there to the point where we have to be satisfied at some point. The Pacers just won literally by – you know, uh, 18 points. Well, yeah, 18 points. And, and it was, they were up 26 before they put in a lot of the young guys. So it's like, this was a blowout. We should be happy that the Pacers shot basically just under 60% and dominated. But instead, it quickly turns into the guy, you know, the starters played too much minutes. I get it. I agree. But look, if you try and find some bright sides. Malcolm Brogdon basically played 10 minutes less than he's used to. Sabonis played too many minutes. He shouldn't have played that much. 
I did get a little bit worried when I saw Justin Holiday grab his wrist towards the end of the game. I thought to myself, that's another guy that doesn't really need to be out there in this game. But at least he had had the foul trouble. So there were stretches where he, you know, he took breaks and everything. But I feel like this was just a really well-balanced, get-right game for the Pacers. And I think maybe they needed it. Maybe that's what it came down to, get the starters all the confidence. And, and when you look at the starting lineup for the Pacers tonight, they dominated it. Sabonis, 13 of 15. Brogdon, 9 of 16. Turner, 9 of 13. Jeremy Lamb, 6 of 9. Ties a career high with five made threes. I mean, getting all those guys that confidence into a game like Milwaukee could be very big. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And, you know, these guys are going to come ready to play tomorrow because it's it's a big test for them. And if they lose, they lose. They're going to be on national TV, so I think that's another part of it you know, giving them a little bit of a motivation. Hey, you're on national TV. You're going up against what some people consider the best team in the Eastern Conference. You're going up against the the MVP and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, Justin, Aaron, you're going against your brother. Uh, it's it's just, it's a great, it's a great matchup for Pacer players to be amped for, to, to get ready to play for. So I'm not worried about them being ready to play the game. I'm not going to predict them to win because it's going to be a very difficult game to win, but you know, I heard some criticisms like, hey, Brogdon shouldn't have finished the third quarter. It's like the guy finished with 29 minutes overall. It didn't touch the fourth quarter. You know, sometimes I feel like these guys probably won as many minutes as they can possibly play just because it helps them stay in rhythm. I don't know how much of a, of a factor that has to come into it. But at the same time, you got to think about it, Fachi, too. If we have our other two starters in that starting lineup with Karis Levert and TJ Warren, um, I, I think that Bjorkman will trust the bench a little bit more. But he pulled Goga out in the first quarter because Goga gave up, not Goga himself, but the Pacers gave up three offensive rebounds when Goga was in the game, and he immediately pulled him and put Sabonis back in. So I think there is a bit of a, a learning curve there still with Goga, not fully getting the trust from Bjorkman, but you know, trying to give him a little bit of an opportunity there in the first half. Edmund Sumner, once again, has just fallen out of the rotation, not sure why. Aaron Holiday was once again, very inconsistent. One of six tonight for just six points. And then, you know, Jakar Sampson and Keelan Martin, those guys come in later. But McConnell, 29 minutes. That's a ton of minutes for McConnell off the bench. McDermott had 23. Aaron had 18. So it's like you can kind of see that eight-man rotation. Now, if you add if you add in Levert and, and T.J. Warren, that's a 10-man rotation, or you're taking minutes away from McConnell and McDermott and probably Aaron Holiday, which I think – is the end uh, the end goal here is to probably have a nine to ten man rotation with all ten of those players and just maybe split those minutes up a little bit more once fully healthy. Yeah, I mean, guys, let's be honest. Like, I know we're expecting this Pacers team to be good, but we're expecting that Pacers team to be good when you include Lavert and TJ Warren in it. We're trying to weather the storm right now. After a three and zero start, the Pacers are basically a 500 team since then. They're, they're, they're trying to, you know, in 500 in the East, the crazy thing is it's good enough to still be a playoff team. When we get Levert and TJ Warren back, this Pacers team can be really good, assuming that they're healthy. But for now, Yes, clearly Bjorkren's looking to, you know, I think eventually McConnell won't be playing as many minutes as he has. He's playing a lot more minutes lately. Yeah. There was a this span where he was averaging just under 20 minutes. The last two games he played 28 and a half minutes, 25 minutes and 40 seconds. You know, before that he was playing a couple games over 28, 32. So he's seen his minutes rise lately. But to just not have kind of any faith in Sumner, I feel like, come on. I, I felt like this was the kind of game he could have played, you know, roughly eight to ten minutes. Goga, I know you mentioned when they yanked him. 
we didn't see him return you know, after that first quarter run. We didn't see him return to, you know, late the very end of the game, the fourth. Yeah. And honestly, I, I tweeted it out. Like it's a, such a small sample size, but Goga's low key getting to the free throw line. Uh, he kind of is. I mean, it's very limited appearances, but let's see. Three or four tonight. He's got 14 free throw attempts in very limited minutes uh, on the yeah. season. I mean, it's not like he's going to be going to the line like he's James Harden, but I just feel like it's another body that they could foul that, hey, why not take the free throws when that's been a struggle for the Pacers in the past? They, they luckily shot 29 free throws tonight, but that's not always the case. Yeah, that's that's an interesting uh, point that you bring up there. I, I think Goga has a pretty shot. If you watch him, the form looks really good. I think he rushes a lot of his three-point attempts. Mm-hmm. A lot of that, I think, is just nerves as well. But, yeah, I mean, that is one thing I did notice. He does seem to hit consistently from the free throw line, which is a nice sign because um, it, it feels like sometimes Turner and Sabonis can be a little bit uh, – they can struggle a little bit from the three or the free throw line, excuse me. So it, it's good to see him getting there. And I will say there was one play, and I'm pretty sure you saw it too, where John Morant was switched on to Goga. And they did not get the ball to him in the post, and he was really trying down there to body with him. And I believe the Pacers ended up getting one offensive rebound off that play, and it, and it got kicked back out for a three, and the Pacers hit the three. Mm-hmm. But one thing I was going to bring up here in this in this point is John Morant did not allow Goga to get to the spot he wanted to, number one and number two. When that ball went up, I mean, Goga was nowhere near the play. And so John Morant had him boxed out well. Now, the rebound went on the opposite side of where, the, where John Morant was boxing out Goga. But then you come down – on the very next possession for the Memphis Grizzlies. And I believe they got two to three offensive rebounds on that very next possession after the Pacers hit that three. And that wasn't necessarily Goga's fault, but McDermott, I believe it was, and maybe Jeremy Lamb at one point, they both did not make contact with anybody crashing the offensive boards and just went straight for the ball. And that's how Memphis got to it because nobody really boxed them out. And so I think like I saw that play in my mind and I'm thinking, Look, John Morant's doing a good job boxing out Goga Batadze, and, and Goga's probably a foot taller than him. You know what I yeah, mean? That can't happen. Yeah, well, it's it's not that it can't happen. It's just that just goes to show you how boxing out is important. Of course. Even, even if you're a smaller guard, like a like a T.J. McConnell, like an Aaron Holiday, you can still put your body on someone a little bit bigger. Of course, if you're trying to go up against like Dwight Howard, those kind of guys, they're going to bully you around. They're going to get away with some fouls. They're going to be able to push you out of the way, but – you know, it, it's just the competitiveness and the, and the um, overall mindset of rebounding is to first initiate that contact and box out, then go get the ball. And too many times I've seen it where the Pacers have gotten beat on the offensive glass, it's just not making that initial contact. And I think that's one of the things that has to be a little bit sharper for the Pacers. What, you'll notice Sabonis does a good job of usually finding a body. And when he doesn't, that's when you notice somebody comes from behind him, like a LaMelo ball tip slam, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. that that's why I'm talking. You got to get those bodies on those guys crashing the glass because if you don't, uh, it's a 50-50 chance there in the Pacers. It feels like don't always win those 50-50 chances. No, they do not. And in a game where the Pacers won the rebounding battle, you know, by uh, six, they lost the offensive rebounding battle. Yep. So that's, you know, just like you mentioned, something that they could do much better at. But uh uh, from this game, from this standpoint, I thought this was a good win where when you're talking about a balanced effort, I thought a guy like Miles Turner, honestly, got to give him his praise right now that I thought Turner played great. I thought yeah. defensively, absolutely brought it as always. He had his five blocks, but he, he rebounded tonight, 11 rebounds, he had 22 points. I mean, this that's that's as 
you know, well-balanced of a dominant performance on both ends as you could possibly ask for. Guy finishes as a plus 31 for the Pacers. I mean, that says a lot right there. And for Jeremy Lamb, I felt like this was kind of like a kind of like a get right game. Not not that he had been, you know, slumping or anything, but he kind of came a little bit more back down to kind of like reality a little bit the last couple of games scoring, you know, back to back 12 points, you know, in that stretch, he was eight of 16 over that two games. That's still 50%. But tonight it, it just seemed like he had it going. He had a hot hand and the Pacers overall six players in double figures. I mean, it's kind of a lot when outside of McConnell, I mean, Aaron holiday basically played the whole fourth quarter played most of got most of his minutes in the fourth quarter compared to earlier. So you know, with a limited amount of players, you know, the majority scored in double figures. You got to love it. And, and I'll say this about Turner's um, double-double. It felt very quiet. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it was not a very, very – it wasn't like an impactful, loud look at that. Miles Turner, 22-11, it was just like, oh, seriously? He's got 22-11? and 11? It's not like, up on me. Yeah, I mean, it was just – it was one of those things where it's like I didn't even realize he was dominating that much in the game. And it wasn't that I wasn't watching. It's just I think the paces were just so good. They're so entire, efficient. Yeah, they were so good on all on all ends that you just didn't really notice it. Same with Brogdon. I mean, like, that was a pretty quiet game for him, even though he was pretty dominant there. I thought he had a nice little end to the third quarter there where you got, like, uh, six or eight points in a row off of a couple attacks of the basket. I mean, there's just some really good moments with the five blocks. Once again, I mean, it's just Miles Turner has been a defense, uh, defensive monster this year. Really making a strong case for Defensive Player of the Year. Now, it's still going to be a tough award to win just because of the reputation of so many other good defenders and players that might be a little bit better than him on the offensive end. And I know that shouldn't matter, but sometimes I feel like you look at a guy like Joel Embiid, you look at a guy like Rudy Gobert, it's like they have that reputation. They put up bigger numbers on the offensive end, probably more rebounds too. And so it's like I feel like they get the advantage, even though Turner, the amount of shots that he's altering and blocking at the rim – and even, even his hands this year, like they've been way more active. He's stealing more passes. He's just been a better defender overall. And I think those other guys, just their reputation and the rebounding numbers really catapults them just above him and a lot of these voters' eyes, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. It's just Miles Turner has been great this year. And, uh, you know, he had a bad game against Philadelphia. But all in all, I mean, what I've seen from Miles this year has been probably the best basketball of his entire career. I completely agree. There's just we've talked about it before. I don't even want to use the same words. He's a different player this year. He really is. When the numbers might not always show it, if you watch his game, just the way he conducts himself, his confidence, his aggressiveness, it's very different, and it's paying off for the Pacers. So I felt like I had to give him some praise when it just felt like Sabonis' performance kind of overshadowed it a little bit. Brogdon mm-hmm. was really good. Like I mentioned, Lamb had the hot hand. But, you know, Miles Turner just doing absolutely everything asked of him. So, love that. I mean, overall, for this Pacers team, I feel like we can't keep getting greedy because wins are tough to come by. This Grizzlies team, right now, they'd be a playoff team in the West. You know, this this is a, a quality win right here. So, a, not only a quality win, but a quality win where you look dominant in. Sure, not everything was perfect. We talked about some of the young guys could have gotten more minutes, but guys – Let's be happy for a win when we get them after you saw just how hard it is to win this league coming off of that Sixers game where that looked like a guarantee. So, you know, maybe like you mentioned, Bjorkman was like, I don't want to take any chances. Let's just get it done. And that's what it comes down to. So, yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about our two all-star candidates, Sabonis and Brogdon. 
and what their realistic chances are of getting into the All-Star game and maybe look at some of the other guys that they might be competing against. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we're back. And so I just got to ask you, Fachi, because it's really a tough question. How many Pacers do you think will make the All-Star game? Not how many do you think should make it, but how many do you think will make it? And if there's guys that are in, you know, that the Pacers are players are competing against in the league, go through, I guess, and, and maybe name a few guys you think that maybe one of our Pacer players is more deserving than because the question is, oh, if you're going to put this guy in the All-Star, All-Star game, who are you removing? So I think this is our chance to kind of be bold and say, hey, this is who we would remove from the All-Star game and put this player in instead. So um, I'll, uh, I'll let you start first. Who do you think is the – how many All-Stars do you think we're most likely going to get? Look, guys, it's the unpopular answer. It's it's one. I mean, the, they do not – the media does not shine upon the Pacers. It, it won't be a surprise. We'll act like we're stunned, you know, when someone gets snubbed. But what's going to happen is – we're going to have our guys, whoever's going to get in is going to probably be on the coach's side of things. I mean, we're not going to have a starter in the All-Star game. It's just, it's not going to happen. We love it. But I just feel like I find it impossible to not make Sabonis an All-Star this year. And I think that Malcolm Brogdon is every bit deserving of being an All-Star this year. I hope that both guys are picked. But unless the Pacers are going to be towards the very, very top of the Eastern Conference, I think it's probably only going to be Sabonis. I think that all the coaches know exactly what Malcolm Brogdon is capable of and that he is an all-star. And if there's someone that's going to drop out, I think that he should be the first guy in there. But unfortunately, there's guys like I feel like, to tell you the truth, Alex, as good as he is, I don't think that Kyrie Irving should be an all-star over Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, you saw my thunder there, Foch. I put a tweet out about it last week. Oh, well. <laughs> I don't see that. I just don't. I just think a man who bailed on his team like that and where the Nets are, I think Malcolm Brogdon has been way more vital to his team than Kyrie yeah. Irving has to the Nets. Yeah, and it's it's like sure, maybe Kyrie's the better player overall, yeah. but but what Brogdon does on the defensive end should not be unnoticed either. And I think sometimes it is, and a lot of times he's oh, got yeah. the opposing team's best player, especially with Warren and Levert out. So they're asking him to do a lot. He's playing a ton of minutes. And he's just been a great leader on and off the court. And I value that. And I think coaches value that to an extent as well. Um, and so it also comes down to win losses. Now, there's a guy that I'm really intrigued by this year. He's probably one of the front runners for most improved, and that's Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that I really think should make the All-Star game. And I don't I don't know what it is. I mean, Trey Young is a guy that will probably make the All-Star game. And I just – I don't dislike Trey Young. I think he's fun. I think he's probably fun for the All-Star game. But at the same time, it's like he plays one side of the basketball. And I guess you can make that same case against Sabonis. <laughs> but, but I think Sabonis is a much better defender than, than Trey Young is and can do a lot of different things. I mean, the rebounding for sure is a big part of defense as well, ending possessions that way. So it's, it's where I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I think there's so many guards, it's going to be hard for Brockton to get in. But I do think Sabonis will probably get in based on prior reputation of being an all-star last year. I agree. And the fact that he's had a double-double in every game but two games this year. And I think coaches look at that. And another thing, when coaches game plan against Indiana Pacers, the teams that have really done a good job of slowing the Pacers down have been teams that have built walls to kind of stop Sabonis from dominating the game. It's not like they've went out there and done all these different things to stop Brogdon from dominating. So I think that is just where – my guy Sabonis gets the the slight edge over Brogdon, but 
I think both are very deserving. And unfortunately, I don't want to say Miles Turner is not deserving. I just think that's going to be really hard to get him in because there's so much talent in the Eastern Conference this year. Exactly. It's like, look, guys, we know better than anyone that like every every single Pacer fan out there knows that Miles Turner means so much to this team. And he's playing literally the best ball of his career. And he is deserving of all of this praise. But when you're talking three all-stars in a smaller market team and you're not in first place, it's a tall task. It's it's a lot to ask for. I mean, when you're looking at the guards right now, the competition for Brogdon, there's a lot of really good guards out there. While some of his numbers aren't sexy, we're kind of fed up with them. Like Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, the Sixers are having a great year. Ben Simmons will probably be an all-star, you know? I mean, it's like Trey Young. It's like Trey Young. I think he was a starter last year. Could be yeah. wrong, but I, yeah, he got the fan vote. Yeah, I think he did. I, I mean, he's going to be voted in again. It's tough out there. Uh, I mean, for, for the guards, it really is. Like a guy like Kyle Lowry, who's been an all-star in the past, I think he drops out. Yeah. It's like, all right, like, look, Lowry. Unless he gets better. the coaches. Unless he gets the coaches, yeah, bro, based I on know. reputation. And it's, it's still, yes, based on reputation, it's possible, but – there's some guys that are really trying to be first-time All-Stars. Like Jalen Brown, you know, shooting guard. Like Jalen uh, Brown is going to be an All-Star this year. Uh, Tobias Harris made a really good case, too, he, this he's year. He's making a very good – it's like, yeah. guys, it's like we're, we're, we're going to be ready to riot. We are. We're going to be really mad <laughs> when they snub Brogdon. But it's just like – you just kind of feel like they, they side with Sabonis here, being the previous All-Star, the guy who's putting up – all like the numbers, the double doubles and everything of the sword. You know, I feel like last year he finally started to get some praise. Now he's entering that like, oh, Sabonis, no, that guy's an all-star. Like, no, no doubt about it. Brogdon, you still need to get that first all-star appearance. It should be this year. It should. If someone drops out, it very well could be. But I think he's probably going to end up being maybe the top snub. Oh, and and there's a lot of guys that are going to be in that boat that get snubbed. And I think one thing that's on the Pacers' side – of things of at least getting one guy in because there's a there's a case where they could get no guys in but yes I there think, is unfortunately I think the one thing that keeps the Pacers um with a with a opportunity to get a guy in at least one guy in is the winning record and if they're a top if they're a top six team in the Eastern Conference I think these these coaches will honor that because they do honor winning and I know some people think that that's a dumb idea. I've heard the debates on should we really worry about wins and losses when picking all-stars? Because, I mean, this is what happened to Bradley Beal last year. This guy got snubbed even though he was leading, like, I think he was, like, second or third in scoring in the entire NBA, putting up 30-something points a game last year. And that puts a bonus in over him because the Pacers were actually winning games. So that's kind of where, you know, winning does matter. I think that does benefit the Pacers. But you know, that that does kind of put a damper on a guy like Colin Sexton, someone I think that's deserving. Uh, Bradley Beal, once again, someone that's deserving as well. Um, their team's not been playing very well this year, even though they had a great win against the Brooklyn Nets. So just all in all, it's it's a really tough conversation. But if you look at dominant centers in the in the Eastern Conference, you're talking Bam Adebayo, DeMontis Sabonis. Um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, Joel Embiid, of course. And other than that, Vucevic, I think those are your top four centers probably in the Eastern Conference, probably all deserving of being on that roster. But will they pick all four? That's that's a tough question. But I guess you could I guess you count Sabonis as a power forward in this situation because that's what he does start out as on the on the starting five. But, yeah, it's 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 a tough it's a tough 
group of guys to go against because of how many great seasons some of these Eastern Conference players are having. Oh, very much is. And even guys that aren't going to be all-stars that are having really good years, like Clint Capella, Andre Drummond. I mean, those guys are having really good years also. But it's like, yeah. hey, you know, we, we, we got to pump the brakes somewhere over there. And, and those guys, you know, they won't make it. But Colin Sexton, going back to that, I could unfortunately see some tough love as like, uh, you know, like you're not there yet young and like one of those type of like you got to earn your stripes. And he's having a really good year. He is. Mm-hmm. But I still don't know if he's achieved like that status as you're a surefire all-star, mm-hmm. you know, like, like they're every bit deserving. Uh, I love what the Cavs have going, but I just feel like I could see him also being snubbed. I feel like Brogdon has a better case here with the Pacers having a better record. And this isn't a surprise coming off of the season that Brogdon had last year, despite being hurt. So uh, it's going to hurt in the end. I, I really hope that's not the case. But, hey, maybe if the Pacers can get hot and maybe get up into potentially that two seed come right around All-Star time, then, yeah, maybe they very well could have two All-Stars. Yeah, and you know what's funny is you look at the Eastern Conference standings as we kind of transition here and talk about this upcoming game against Milwaukee. If you do look at the Eastern Conference standings, the Pacers aren't that far out. Even though they haven't played great, they're actually just a half game um, back of the Milwaukee Bucks for first place in the Central Division and only three games behind Philadelphia. So that's why that loss hurts so much on Sunday because if they win that game, they're leading the Central Division. And I know uh, they haven't played Milwaukee or Brooklyn this year and without Embiid, so they really haven't played uh, Philadelphia either like at their at their best. So I guess you could make the case we're not at our best without Levert and Warren, but this is the team we've seen all year. So I, I'm not going to, you know, write that off and uh, just act like it's not a big deal. But looking at this team, I mean, they're, they're, the, they're the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference and they're going up against the three seed of Milwaukee tomorrow. Milwaukee's, I believe, is four and four in their uh, or four and four in their last eight games. So they're not playing like terrific basketball, but at the same time, I just don't see who we put on. Giannis Antetokounmpo, <laughs> and um, I feel like it's probably going to be Sabonis, but it'll be interesting to see how they go about defending this team because Milwaukee, I mean, they just have – they're just a hard matchup for the Pacers without the uh, without the wing depth of Lavert and uh, T.J. Warren. Of course, and that's going to be the case for uh, – in a lot of games this season. We, we've seen, you know, the Pacers really get hurt by wings over, you know, many games this season, and I just feel like – not many teams have an answer for Giannis. There is no Giannis stopper. You know, I mean, there's a couple guys, very few, like Bam Adebayo, who's defended him well. But the Pacers don't have that. I feel like I loved a couple of years ago that amazing game where Thad shut Giannis down to, like, I think it was, like, 12 points. And I think Thad even had 20-plus points himself. That was just a great, great performance. But at this point, that was, like, three years ago. I mean, Giannis is the Greek freak. He's the two-time MVP. I mean, he is a lot to handle, and the Pacers can't expect – one guy to take on, you know, that responsibility. So, you know, uh, it, it's going to be tough, a, a tough challenge, but I feel like this is where you start to see what the Pacers are all about because the loss to the Sixers without Embiid, that's brutal. Then when you mentioned that we haven't faced any of the other teams yet, it's like this is that big challenge, you know. Yeah. We went one and one against Boston. Um, you know, I, I don't think the Pacers have played Atlanta yet. No, we haven't played Atlanta yet. No. No, so they haven't played Atlanta yet. That's considered one of the other good teams in the East just because they're at least 500. 
But this is where you really want to start to see how this Pacers team can size up without Levert and Warren against a team that you know is going to be there in the playoffs. No, and that's a great point. And I, I hate to be this guy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think the biggest shot stopper is the free throw line. And that's not necessarily yeah. knocking on him, but he's just not been consistent from the free throw line. And he's not been consistent enough from the three-point line. So really when it comes down to it, I mean, that might be your best bet. Maybe try to play some zone, try to figure out ways to not let Giannis attack, you know, a, a player individually one-on-one. I mean, if you put Brogdon on him, that's just such a disadvantage for Brogdon. Yeah. Um, and the size, the height, that's just a big deal. Then you got Drew that you got to worry about now instead of Eric Bledsoe. Drew's a much better player. You've got Still Middleton in there, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like DiVincenzo is probably their worst starter by a long shot. Um, I think you keep Turner on Brooke Lopez. Probably, probably throw Lamb on. Do you put Justin Holiday on? On I'd give it a go. On who? Oh, oh, I, I, I'm taking my shots throwing Justin at anyone, anyone and everyone. I so Middleton like or 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 DiVincenzo? I, I would rather have him on Middleton. Yeah, I just don't know. Like, I just think Lamb's a little bit thicker as far as weight goes and, and yeah. you know, size. So maybe you put Lamb on Middleton, maybe throw Justin on DiVincenzo, but they could, you know, interchange that. And of course, I think Brogdon should guard Drew Holiday. Just makes the most sense. And I'm sure that'll be the matchup on the other end of the court. But yeah, I think it's going to be a tough night for Sabonis if uh, Giannis is the guy guarding him, just because Giannis is as big as he is. And maybe maybe Giannis is stronger than Sabonis, which is a weird thing to say, but it's possible. And, I mean, OG Ananobi is a pretty strong guy, and he was um, holding his own against Sabonis in the paint a little bit. So I, I think I think Giannis is going to be a tough matchup for Domas. And this is a game where you're really going to need maybe Jeremy to kind of go off for a big game if he's got DiVincenzo on him. And I'm not saying DiVincenzo is any slouch, but, I mean, he might have the best mismatch. You're going to have to figure out ways to – unlock some of these guys and that's kind of what i'm excited to see what bjorken can do because uh last year clearly when uh Giannis was healthy the pacers had zero options uh to, to slow him down and really to get going on offense no they, they really didn't have many options and it's okay to say that bonus is going to have his handful his hands full tomorrow it's all right i mean that's Giannis is the guy who just won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same year. I mean, something that had only been done a handful of times. Uh, I want to say maybe once or twice, you know, in the past. I mean, that's that's a ridiculous thing. So tomorrow, it, it guys, the chances are we're probably not going to win the game coming off of a back-to-back. You know, it's like, let's be honest. But it's a very great test for this Pacers team. There's things that can be taken away from this game and Bjorken's the kind of coach where I feel like what doesn't go right in this game, he can put into the next time that we play Milwaukee and make those adjustments. I trust that he's a good enough coach to be able to do that. And he's still learning on the fly. I mean, this is his first time being a head coach in the NBA. You know, it's like you're learning as this goes on. So allow him to be able to make some mistakes. You know, the Philly, I guarantee he's already noted mistakes that he made against Philly at the end of the game. I mean, they got scored 31 to six. I'm sure he's watched the film at the end of the game. Oh yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's a terrific coach and I think there are criticisms of him for sure that are worth mentioning. And there's been a lot of talk about it, but at this point, you know, I I think this is a game where he's just going to have his, you know, 
his hands tied, but exactly. maybe you can go back and look at some of the stuff the Raptors did against Milwaukee a couple years ago, even last year. I think that they played them pretty well. So it'll be interesting to see what different things I do. I don't know if I would necessarily do a box and one on Giannis. I, I like thought about it, but I, I don't know. I just don't trust myself leaving uh, Middleton open without, you know, because the box and one really tries to shut one person down, but then, like, the, the box has to scramble all over the place yeah. to try to cover other people, and I just don't know how they can, you know, um, cover both Middleton and Drew Holiday with that box and one. So maybe it's a little bit of triangle and two, and uh, you try to shut down Middleton and Giannis. I just – Giannis to me is not a good shooter, and if he hits some threes, that's going to happen. It's same with Sabonis type. Like tonight, goes two of two, and it really opens up his game. But if he goes 0 of 5 like he did against Philly, then you kind of don't have to worry about guarding him from out there. And the Pacers really, though, depending – doesn't really matter who it is. They've done a really um, strong job this year. Not as necessarily a good job, but they really get out there and pressure those three-point shooters, whether they're good or bad. And, like, I mean, Gorgie Dang had the ball at the top of the key and Sabonis was, like, all over him. It's like, lay off a little bit, you know. Gorgie Dang hits a three on you, you live with it. You, you shake his hand and walk away. He's not like this killer three-point shooter. But um, if, if you're going to put Sabonis on him one-on-one, I just don't know if he's quick enough. But – Hopefully you help by sending double teams, something like that. I don't I don't know what the exact game plan is, but it'll be tough. It'll be a tough game. And I'm not predicting a Pacers win, but I just I want to see the Pacers compete in this game on national TV. And if they can just show like, hey, we belong in this conversation of we're, you know, able to compete with this level of a team, then that's all that I really care about. And I'm not all about moral victories, but I think in this situation, I'm okay with a moral victory overall. That, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to be the guy who's waving the white flag, you know, a day in advance, but it's at the point where it's not like this is a do or die game. This is a play Milwaukee as well as you could possibly play them. And when you figure out what didn't go right, make sure that you can make the adjustments for next time, because you're going to see Milwaukee again later in this year. Absolutely. As you would any, any team in your division, but you could see them in the playoffs. You, you don't know. I mean, Right now, the way yeah. the way things are slotted, I mean, these teams are, are very close in the standings that it could be a, you know, I'm not expecting it to be a 4-5 or five matchup, but if, if the Pacers still suffer injuries, they slide down to six. What if it's a three versus six or, you know, a four, a four versus five? I don't know. I expect Milwaukee will pick things up. I would hope that the Pacers can, you know, pick things up, and, and I would love if they could be in that 3-4 range. I would love that, but that's that's out of our control. That's up to when Levert and Warren are healthy enough to get back on the court. But for now, weather the storm. See what you can do. Try and hang in there. Try and compete each and every night that you can. And I do think that there could be a moral victory from this uh, Milwaukee game. But, hey, don't also count out the Pacers on primetime. I remember that win against the Lakers last year on primetime. They were coming off, I think, like 12 or 13 straight road wins. So uh, I loved it. So you never know what you're going to get out of these Pacers on national television. No, you don't. And so as we close this out, last night I talked with Mark uh, Mark Schindler and Rhett Bauer. Uh, excuse me there. And uh, we talked about uh, Rhett's proposed trade package. It was Sabonis, two first-round picks, Aaron Holiday, and Jeremy Lamb for Bradley Beal. Now we know Bradley Beal is right in your backyard in the D.C. area, Fachi. So – what did you think about this trade package? And what did you think about what Red had to say about that on the podcast yesterday? So, look, I, I think the fun idea is like, whoa, whoa, what would it take to get Bradley Beal? I don't think that the Pacers would ever come close to acquiring Bradley Beal. And I don't want them to, 
to be honest. I understand where he's coming from. It's, it's a fun, exciting thing. But think about it. Bradley Beal can opt out of his contract. He has a player option for next year. Literally has a player option. And then he's an unrestricted free agent. So he also has a 15% trade kicker in there. So you're talking about paying the man roughly $43 million for next season. So it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, And I think for the Pacers to try and go all in, I I just think that right now it's it's a really bold move. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that this Pacers team is one move away. You know, I, right, right. I, I think that it's it's unfortunate. So basically, Beal's got two years on his contract, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. So it's not a lot of time to get it done, you know? No. And that, that's two years after this season, just to clarify everything like that. But if you make the, the move for Beal and you give up Sabonis, then right now, I, I feel like, and you're, you know, say you give up Aaron Holiday, okay, sure. Like you have to include like a lamb in there, like, all right. It makes your Pacers team basically. You're looking at your core is Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, and Miles Turner. Is that a championship team? I with Beal. No. Well, yes, with Beal, <laughs> but obviously that's that's the main piece right there. But is it better than the Brooklyn Nets or the Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, probably not. And that's why I said like if I were the Pacers and I really felt strongly about going out and getting Bradley Beal. Um, I said like I would give up Warren and Turner, but I think actually what I'd probably do is when you make these kind of deals, sure, people like superstars, but most of the time they want draft picks. That's just what it is. So if you could trade like Turner and Jeremy Lamb and then give up like the next three or four draft picks that you can with maybe some pick swaps in there or something, like even that might be too much because of the ability to opt out at the end of this year or next year, whatever it is, like – I think you look at that route before you give up someone that you consider a staple of your team. And sometimes I feel like the the loyalty might be lost a little bit if you traded a guy like Sabonis. This is a guy that's like possibly the face of your franchise. I think that Brogdon is probably the face, but I mean, you can make a case for Sabonis. Like I put a poll out there and said, how would you feel if the Pacers traded Sabonis? And I think close to 75% of the total votes came in as sad or, or, or infuriated. So it's uh, it's funny to me because a lot of people were like so anti this trade because they don't want to give up some bonus. And I get like you might have to give up a good player to make your team better. But I, I just thought at the end of it all, I really like we we did so many mock trades during the offseason. And a lot of that was just trying to generate content for the podcast um, because there was nothing to talk about for a while. I mean, we sat in limbo for over, you know, six weeks trying to figure out who the next coach was going to be. So. You know, you, you just throw out different ideas and look, the two guys that we talked about the most getting traded were almost both traded. So mm-hmm. I don't think we were that far off in saying that they no. were going to look to shop Turner this offseason. And of course, if the right deal came for Oladipo, they were going to pounce on that trade as well. And we talked about a lot of it. And now at this point, I don't know if they will necessarily be as apt to trade Turner because I think the Turbonus pairing has worked pretty well so far in the first 20 games, 21 games of the season. So now we'll get a chance to see what they look like against a powerhouse in Milwaukee. And I think how they play in the playoffs will be the uh, decision-making factor for them. If they play well in the playoffs, then they might keep it together. But really, it's just not fair to me to try to break this up and just trade all these different pieces when you haven't even gotten to see this team fully healthy with Levert and Warren back in the starting lineup under Bjorkren. I say give it a couple of years, see what it, see how it looks, and, and keep this core together as long as possible because – 
it's still really talented. And if you can make the right move, sure, go for it. But I mean, Beal aside, like you just have to really evaluate this team and, and how could it affect chemistry and all that kind of stuff does matter. Um, but no, I'm not saying that you, you just you don't you don't trade Sabonis if you can get a guy like Beal because of what he brings to the table. But with everything that was included, I just think Sabonis tonight to me anyway showed that adding two additional picks to get the Pacers to acquire Bradley Beal might be a little bit too much. It's too much. When you said if if you can make the right move, make it. Alex, this isn't the right move. This isn't it. There could be the right move out there eventually, yeah. but this isn't it. Sabonis, I, I think he means a lot to these players. He means a lot to these fans. And it's not to say to be blinded by that, but we have a really good special talent on our team. It's DeMontis Sabonis. Bradley Beal is a really, really good player. He can score a lot, but Sabonis is bringing a lot to the table night in, night out, that I don't think that the Pacers are a Bradley Beal away from winning the, winning the NBA Finals without Sabonis. You know, I, I, I just think that that's not the move that's going to get us there. And to be able to, to be trading numerous two to potentially three First-round picks, I know in his deal it was two first-round picks. We're also giving up Sabonis. Then you're giving up a guy in Aaron Holiday who you've been invested in. I know this year he's starting to kind of fall on the outside a bit, but it feels like you're giving up everything, all the young potential talent. You're giving it away for a year and a half of Bradley Beal where chances are of him re-signing. I mean, he's definitely not going to do it early. He, he would owe it to himself to at least hit free agency, and he's going to have every suitor out there going for him that has money. Yeah. And I just think that this isn't the move for the Pacers. And Sabonis, when he came over to the Pacers, at, at the state, I know Mark was, was saying that sometimes we're being too close as fans, but I just feel like when Sabonis came over to the Pacers and the Paul George trade, this franchise was at a pivotal point of where is it going and Sabonis was almost like a throw-in yeah. that we actually watched develop in front of our eyes into an all-star. Not just one time. I believe he'll be a, a multiple-time all-star. And I feel like for that, to trade him, it would just feel like anyone and everyone's expendable at that point. And we're going to you know, risk it all on a one-and-a-half-year Bradley Beal stretch. And I'm not for that. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that trade would probably mean that Beal would sign an extension here, but I just don't think he would. I don't think he would either. Not, yeah, that's, I mean, not that's, to knock the, the, the team or anything. I, I just, just think it's Indiana. It's Indiana, too. It's like, wh what star have you seen agree to a trade to an extension for a small market team like this? It's it's never really happened. So mm -hmm. that's why I think, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a good idea. It's a it's a good thought. It's fun it's to a talk fun about idea. There really yeah. is. It, yeah. But it's a hypothetical, and I don't see any, anything like that ever happening. And the biggest thing is, is like Kevin Pritchard said it multiple times, like, I want a team that we can grow eternally. Like, it's not mm -hmm. like – internally, excuse me. It's a, it's not a team that you really just want to go out there and be like, okay, we'll trade Sabonis for Bradley Beal. We'll give you this package and that. Like, they're not going to mortgage your franchise. They're not going to just trade all these guys that they've homegrown, like you said. I mean, for crying out loud, he's been here since his second year in the NBA. Like, they traded for him after one year. It's like – it's it was it's like almost equivalent to when the Pacers acquired Jermaine O'Neal. Oh man, Jermaine! You know, you know what I mean? Him. Like this was a guy that was on a team where he wasn't being utilized correctly, wasn't getting a lot of minutes. I mean, they're about the same age. I know Jermaine was really young when he came into the league, mm -hmm. 
he'd been in the league for a couple of years by this point and just kind of lost on that veteran Portland bench. And so Pacers made a risky move. They traded a veteran for him. You know, the Pacers really traded Paul George for Victor Oladipo in the hopes that Sabonis could be something, but he was a backup center for the last, you know, for yeah. two, two years prior to becoming a starter and becoming that all-star level player. So it's not like they really wanted to trade Victor. I think Victor kind of gave them no choice. Mm-hmm. And if they could have kept Victor long-term, they would have. I mean, that's why they offered him the max offer that they could, the $25 million plus 8% raises over the next five years, and he turned it down. So all in all, I just think the Pacers don't want to be that team that just is willing to trade anybody. And if they can grow from within, and there are exceptions, obviously, to, to who you trade and what you're going to get back. Like, if you're going to get Anthony Davis – then you trade DeMontis Sabonis. I completely understand that, you know, but he's locked up long-term now. It's like, it's got to be the right move. And and here's the thing. Yeah, go for it. Sorry to cut you out. No, I'm rambling. But, you know, all of a sudden at 11.30 p.m., and I'm getting fired up right now because it's it's at the point where Bradley Beal is a good player, but he's not an absolute great top five player that puts you in an NBA Finals right now. And I just feel like, to, to jeopardize the full future, it, it's it's just something that we can't pull trigger on. And all, all Pacer fans asked for coming into this year was let this team stay healthy and let's see what we got. And off the bat, from the very beginning, we couldn't stay healthy. And I know that it sucked. But now that we finally have some guys in Karis LeVert, who we haven't even seen play, that we want to add to the team, and, and TJ Warren coming off the bubble performance, I can't wait to see that come together. And if we already jeopardized a, a ton of that, this core, it would be we would always be wondering, man, I wonder if we would have just been better off keeping all of our assets and our all-star player for years to come and build on that. You bring in Bradley Beal right now, I mean, you're not going to be – you're probably not going to be able to sign TJ Warren if you – you keep, you know, uh, Bradley Beal for the future. If he's going to re-up, I mean, that contract's going to pay him over $50 million a year. I mean, it's going <laughs> to yeah. get outrageous. It depends on what the Pacers are willing to spend. And what, what they've shown from previous history is it's not the luxury tax. So ah. they, they might they might do it. They might go into it if they feel like they had a chance with Beal. But it's like, you know, like you said, is Beal that guy that's going to put you from, okay, sure, he might get you out of the first round maybe into the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe. but that's that was fun. That's but, it. I mean, does it get you to the championship game, uh, the, the NBA Finals? Eh, not as the number one guy. No. And, you know, I'm not saying Sabonis does that either. But, no, it doesn't. But yeah. at the same time, it's, it's, it's based on how this roster is built. And I think you add Levert, you add Warren to it. I mean, sure, you have a really good collective group of guys, and it kind of feels similar in a sense to how this team was built back in the early 2010s. With the shot blocking and Roy Hibbert, you had that, you know, that enforcer and David West. I think that's kind of the Sabonis role. And and now they're just trying to find that Paul George guy. And I just don't know if that's any of the three available that we have between Brogdon, Lavert, and Warren. I mean, maybe you hope that it could be, but I definitely think Brogdon's better than George Hill. And I definitely think yes. Lavert or Warren is better than Lance. Overall, as yeah, a player, yes, yes. so you, you're Love probably plans, but yes, yeah. So you're probably looking at a team that's very similar to the 2010 early team that had great success based on that. That you know, not overall superstar, but just a collective group of guys was so good they were able to win some playoff rounds. So I still think fully healthy with Warren Lavert and those guys. I mean, they can get to the Eastern Conference Finals if things bounce the right way, but they're still going to have their hands full because. 
this Eastern Conference is a lot more competitive than it was in the early 2010s when the Pacers, you know, didn't have as much competition to go up against to get to the Miami Heat. It very much is. So I just think that let's let's while we're trying to weather the storm now, let's stay the course. Yeah. And just, you know, I mean, I could break out these these little one line phrases all night, but I just feel like <laughs> let's just keep going. All right. That's all we need to do. One win at a time before we blow up this roster um, and, and go all in on an Eastern Conference finals appearance. You know, there's there's much more basketball to be played for years to come. If you can keep this team together, I feel like that's going to be one of our biggest strengths is the chemistry. The guys all being able to sign together. There's a couple teams that are all in for now, and, and I just feel like, hey, if it doesn't work out, where do you go from there? And the Pacers, yeah. they, they, they don't rebuild. They don't. So I know you don't want to be satisfied with just being a playoff appearance team, but, you know, you got to know when and when not to blow it up. And this is not the move to, uh, to you know, lay all your chips on the table. Yeah, and can I bring up one more real quick point, too, about just staying intact with this team? Yep. I know we got to get going because it's late, but one thing I want to say is like this team is still relatively young. Sabonis, yeah. Turner, Brogdon, they're all, you know, even I think Levert and Warren, they're all like 28 and younger. And they're 26, you, yeah. Yes. I mean, some of them I think are in their 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, but I do think like if you look at Milwaukee, Drew, Brooke, those guys are a little bit older. Giannis, I mean, he's not that old yet, but. You know, he's not getting any younger, obviously, but he's still really good. But I'm saying, like, the surrounding pieces, same with Brooklyn. Like, Durant's getting older. James Harden's been in the league for a while. And then the only team that I really think about that's got, like, a super bright future is Boston with Jalen and Jason Tatum. But Kimba Walker's getting older, and they still have – they have some holes on that team. I don't like their bench that much. Mm -hmm. Their center position is eh. Yeah. They, they make it work with Tyson Thompson, but, like, it's not great. So there's still some holes there. So I think, like, if you think about it, sure, the Pacers might not get to the Eastern Conference Finals this season, but let's say for the next couple of years, similar back to the early 90s Pacers with Reggie Miller, they're able to build this young core together to get some playoff experience and, and get into that second and maybe the second round a couple times and lose getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, but they're still getting out of the first round, developing this talent. By the time, you know, maybe Durant decides, hey, I want to play somewhere else, or Kyrie wants to play somewhere else, or Harden wants to play somewhere else. You know, I didn't bring up Philadelphia, but, you know, they're they're relatively young as well. So, but the Tobias Harris is a little bit older. I don't – I'm not sure how old he is, but maybe he's not as old as I think he is now that I'm talking. But, um, I mean, they're still relatively young, but Danny Green's not young. And, they, and they've got some injuries with Embiid that they probably have to worry about a little bit. And then, of course – what they do with Ben Simmons is he's a long, if he's a long-term answer or not. But, you know, I, I just think like you could see a Pacers 76ers Eastern conference finals in three or four years, uh, depending on the age and how these guys develop together. And if they can get that chemistry, like these teams did in the nineties, in the early 2010s, that's where I would bank on this team being more effective than, you know, looking at it short-term being like, Oh man, we lost in the playoffs. We've got to make moves. no, uh, you've got a really solid bench. You got some good bench players. And I think having that depth, having that continuity is really going to help this team evolve because they're still in the early part of their prime. I mean, bonus 24 years old. I mean, guys got at least five to six more good years of his prime left in him. And by that point, I think you could see some of these other teams start to fall off. Of course. I mean, you're talking about guys like, Brogdon, who's gotten better. Levert, who's gotten better, who we haven't even seen yet for us. You know, Sabonis, who every year is getting better in literally every single statistical category. He's trying to add that three-point shot. It's, it's 
hit or miss some nights. He's looking real good some nights. It's, it's not, but it's it's starting to at least get into the point where I feel like he can feel confident in starting to take those shots. And then you're talking about over a five or six year span. Yeah, he's going to be able to master that. He doesn't need to be a, a knockdown three point shooter, but he'll be able to add it to his game. And I feel like you're seeing if Miles Turner can keep this going for a while. I mean, this is everything the Pacers need from him. You know, I mean, they do not need him to be a superstar. They need him to be a star at what he hones in on. And that's what he's done this year in terms of rim protection and just being more aggressive. I think he's played great to the point where this core, they can continue to develop. Philly, I know you mentioned where maybe we could run into them down the line. If they've said if it doesn't work out this year between Simmons or Embiid, one of them could be on the move. So you never know what's going to happen there. In Brooklyn, like maybe Harden resigns when his contract's up, and I think like maybe basically two years. I don't know. Maybe something happens over there. Maybe they win a ring and they break up. Who knows? But keep this core intact. Let them build together, and I feel like we will enjoy the process, and this team will will show success on the court. But for now, don't jump the gun. You know we're in a more promising spot this year than we were last year, so I feel like we got to enjoy that. Yeah, and that's a great point because you talk about going to battle with these guys, you know, watching them fight like the Pacers did when Paul George came to this team. Fight against the Bulls, even though they got they got beaten five, they played really good in that five-game series. They showed a lot in that series. Yeah, it made you feel like, oh, I'm excited for next year. Then the next year, they get to the second round, lose to the Heat, but they took them to six games, and it's like, man, I really like this team. You know, mm-hmm. George Hill, Danny Granger, Lance uh, was not a, really a part of it yet. Then Danny goes down, Lance steps in. Plays great off the bench, you know, ends up taking Danny's starting position. And it's like year after year, you just kept feeling like, oh, man, like we were so close. I can feel it. I, I just want to go to battle with these guys. Same with the the, the, the earlier teams in the 90s with Jackson, McKee, Reggie, Smiths, and Dale Davis. Like you just see those teams over and over and over again. They get knocked down, but they get back up. And then they're pushing Michael Jordan to a game seven where they should have probably won that game and go to the NBA Finals. So, you know, eventually getting there and losing to Shaq and Kobe. But what I'm saying is like, just that ride of watching those guys compete night after night. Like, that's why continuity is so fun as a fan base. And, and, and trades are what gets talking going. It's what gets articles read. It's what, get podca- it's what gets our podcast listened to, to be honest with you, hypothetical trade ideas. But as far as the, the journey goes, Fudge, I think just having that continuity is so much more, uh, more, more enjoyable to watch as a fan. when you're limited in free agency, I think that continuity is one of your strengths if you can do it right. And I think that that could be one of the Pacers strengths. And I know it, you know, it sounds kind of cheesy or whatever it is, but that's, that's kind of what we, we have to work off of. We acquire guys through trades, barely even the draft anymore. We're not really developing the young talent. So it's like, Hey, through trades, build them up, give them time. Like a guy like Sabonis, I know you guys were talking about in the last episode, uh, it came up about playoffs. I mean, he didn't even get to play in the playoffs last year. And then the year before that, he was still trying to come into his own. He's a different player since then. I want to see him in a playoff series with Brogdon being, you know, healthy and being one of the lead guys. And, you know, maybe TJ Warren's able to contribute what he can. You know, this is a different Miles Turner. You have Levert coming in who, who I would think that after all this time off and he was playing really good basketball, yeah, really, you know, fresh off dropping 43 points. There's so much to be positive about. We just need to get these guys on the court. So it's like, be patient. We have a rookie NBA head coach also. It's going to take time. It will pay off. 
Yep, and Frank Vogel was a rookie head coach the first time he took over, too. Look so at him now. Look at him now. So, all right, everybody, we've we've rambled long enough. We hope you guys have stayed to this point of the podcast and hope you're excited about this future of this team as we are because, you know, it's exciting times, and uh, I think we have a lot of guys that want to be on this Pacers team and want to grow together. So um, make sure you guys check us out on Twitter at Pace 3 over on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find Fachi on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And on Instagram with that same handle, you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. And at the end of the day, we got three words for you. Fachi, hit the people. Let's go Pacers. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.